when you think of the things that we typically consume, so coffee, chocolate, cell phones, clothes that we wear, flowers, things like that, these products that we use every day, they're made by enslaved people. Welcome back to the As It Should Be podcast. I'm your host, Tamara Jones. And before I introduce today's guest, let me pose some questions to you. Do you know where the products in your home come from? Not where you bought them, but who picked and milled the cotton used to make your shirt? Or was the person who picked the tomatoes in your tomato paste given fair wages, regular breaks, and adequate water? Was child labor used to create anything you own? For me, it's impossible to answer any of those questions, not because I don't care, but because it's impossible to get that information out of companies. Well, our guests and her company are here to help get us some answers. Fatima Wali is the founder and CEO of Natera, an ethical online marketplace that provides the traceability story for each product sold from the first kilometer to the last mile. As you can imagine, reaching this level of transparency is not easy. It requires people, technology, partnerships, and so much more. So Natera is raising $55,000 to help five small to mid-sized businesses bring transparency to their supply chains and launch the Natera beta product. Do you believe in the cause? Of course you do. I didn't doubt it for a second. I ain't doubt it for a second. (laughs) Before we get into our conversation, you can support the cause by clicking the support Natera link in the description and contribute as little as $15 to their iFundWomen campaign. We only have two more weeks to help them raise $55,000. So share this episode with at least one other person. And if you can swing it, please contribute at least $15 to their campaign. So let's get into it. Please join me in welcoming Fatima to the show. stumble on my own intro. I don't know. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Before we jump into our conversation, um, as people can see, I'm already out here in these streets fucking up. So like, this is going to be a chill conversation today. Like we're, it's, we're, we're getting into heavy things, but like, it's, it's, it's a vibe. In, in honor of that vibe, talk to me about you. I want to know your story and what was your journey to this work? Yeah, absolutely. So I like to tell folks, you know, that I grew up in a very inclusive community. So I had friends from around the globe and, you know, because of the way I was brought up, I was able to cast this cast away a lot of the stereotypes that society either tried to force me inside of or trick me into believing. And I, you know, my upbringing, it allowed me to see the humanity in others, you know, despite any racial differences. Um, 
we're currently in the crisis of our lifetime. Folks say we're living through the decisive decade or, you know, I've heard the decade to deliver. Um, and I just made a commitment to address the climate crisis um, through the intersectional lens of being a Black Muslim woman. So I asked myself early on, you know, what's my contribution? And I just kind of sat with that question, like, what's my stance? And I had no intention of creating a product or a technology that would lead to a sustainable lifestyle for the end user, but was produced in a way that was destructive to like people and planet. And then as an adult, I found myself just wanting more information about the products that I purchased. Um, I started off with more of like an individual outlook. So does this product have ingredients that are harmful for me or my family, you know? Um, and then I began to look outside of myself, outside of my family, and begin to ask other questions like, so does the sourcing of this product hurt wildlife? Does it hurt nature? You know, does it harm the workers that produce it? Um, and I, I came up with the idea because of a jar of tomato paste and I'll explain. So I'll never forget. <laughs> I was standing in the grocery store and I was really just deciding, trying to decide between a jar of tomato paste for a dish that I was making later that night. And, you know, I just became really frustrated because none of the labels, um, on that jar answered any of my questions. And, you know, that's when the idea for Nutera was created, just standing in a grocery aisle with a couple of jars of tomato paste in my hands. First of all, the image that you just gave was so real. Like being in a store, I pick up an item. First thing that I honestly often think about is first the ingredients, right? You always want to know like, okay, are these ingredients healthy? And then you turn the thing around and you can't understand half the things that are on the back because like, this is not English. Like I, you can't convince me that it is, it's not. So, um, these ingredients are, are gibberish. You then want to know more. You want to know like, how, where did this product come from? How did it get here? You actually made me think about a, a product that I got. It was crackers. Um, and they were crackers and <laughs> I don't even remember what flavor they were, but they came in this card, a uh, cardboard box as crackers usually do. And on the front, this was the first time I had ever thought about what you were just saying, like the, um, the origin kind of story of my food products, because I, on this box, it said that the flour that we use is milled on a farm or milled in a mill that is five miles away from where we go from where the flour gets milled or the wheat gets milled into flour and the crackers actually get turned into food. And so I'm like, wow, I had never realized, but the fact that you were, that this organization was able to make those products um, so closely to where they're sourced allows for them to create less pollution. And I never thought about that as a need. Yeah, absolutely. I think when I realized that there was just so much information that wasn't being provided on these product labels that led me to the supply chain and that led me to trying to discover where products were sourced, where they were produced. And oftentimes you'll see that a lot of carbon emissions are emitted along these global supply chains because they are so complex. So, you know, we're actively looking for supply chains that are shorter 
like those crackers. Can you talk more about whether it's climate change or any other challenges or problems that you see are creating the need for this to be the decade to deliver? I've never heard that phrase before. That was really cool. I want to back up and just explain, you know, in tangible terms, what Nutera is, and then that'll kind of lead into your question. So, you know, I like to say we're the Etsy of indie brands with transparent supply chains. Um, You know, we're a Black, woman, Muslim-owned, ethical, and transparent online marketplace. And for us, we showcase, you know, the first kilometer all the way to the last mile, um, as well as the post-disposal stage, you know, We provide that supply chain story or the traceability story for each product that's sold on our website. Um, And, you know, our platform, with our platform, we're connecting these unique, disruptive, like really interesting and bold brands that do the work to make their supply chains transparent. Um, And we deliver that information for folks like us that just really care about the truth. So, you know, we have a people first approach and we provide answers to a lot of these really tough and heavy questions that you find along the supply chain. So, you know, like was forced labor used to make this product? Was child labor used? Did workers um, along the supply chain face caste or like gender discrimination? Um, Is sexual assault systemic in like the manufacturing plant or the factory? And, you know, our chemicals, like what type of chemicals are polluting the community, the community's drinking water systems. Um, and, you know, we're, we really just aim to show the true cost of consumption. So one that not only includes like the financial costs of an article of clothing, but the cost to nature and people. So, you know, like I said, I started off with this jar of tomato paste, but um, we're starting off with the fashion industry. And then our goal is to then uh, branch out into other consumer good categories. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of times with these supply chains, there are so many human rights violations. Um, and oftentimes it's not, they exist not because brands, you know, can't pay their workers or they don't know about it, but just because there's more of like a financial incentive to look the other way. Um, So yeah, I'd be happy to kind of go into more of what type of, um, you know, like just humanitarian crisis that currently exists in supply chains. I mean, you kind of started going into it. I would, of course, I I would love for you to go into it more. Um, But you know, what's funny, this is going to be like an an offhanded, like random ass anecdote. I love those type of anecdotes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's so funny um, is that we don't recognize that these issues exist unless like it's put directly in our face, right? Like we don't, cause, cause let's be real. We have so many challenges in our own day-to-day lives, just trying to be out here surviving that it's really difficult for us to um, be in a communal mindset all the time. And so when something comes smack dab in your face, that's when you recognize that it is a problem that we should, um, we should at least understand whether or not there's being work done to alleviate those problems. And so the random ass anecdote is that that happened to me when I was watching. Have you ever seen the TV show, The Equalizer? Not the movie. So no, I've seen the movie, not the show. <laughs> so the TV show just, it's its new. It's very, it's very new. Like it came out 
um, in 2021, I want to say. And it uh, stars Queen Latifah. And I think it's on like CBS or something. It's one on those old cable shows. I mean, cable like TV networks, whatever. And there was an episode that you just reminded me of when you were talking about labor and um, the thing and like the different the different um, atrocities that can happen within workplaces. And there was an episode where Queen Latifah, you know, was out here fighting crime or whatever. And she <laughs> looked she was tasked or asked to find a missing child. And this child was taken um, from from their mother at the border of Mexico and in, in the United States and separated from their mother. And uh, their, the child, the, the mother could no longer find their child. And this, and it had been a year since the mother had found the child, since, since the mother had seen the child and the mother was separated from them. And eventually at the end, sometime during the episode, Queen Latifah finds the child in a sweatshop, in a warehouse, in a sweatshop, making clothes and the clothes was fast fashion and it was being distributed to malls and retail stores all across the country and a product a, a, a marketplace like Nutera like yours could have given at least the people who were buying the product the insight to know that child labor was used in this product and we would have never even thought of that to be an issue. Yeah, that's a good point. Like I've spoken to, so there's two types of people that I encounter people that are like, Oh yeah, we get it. These are the questions we're already asking. These are the things we are, already want to know. And then there's another group of people that are like, Holy cow. I didn't even realize I should be asking these questions. I didn't realize that, you know, modern day slavery, slavery along supply chains are still a thing, you know? Um, and, and I think too, once part of what we're trying to do is educate you know, consumers and teach them. We say we're reimagining consumption because we're trying to showcase a new way to consume one that's better for like people in the um, environment. And the problem is really twofold. So, you know, there's impact on people and nature from production um, to consumption, use and disposal, the textile, textile and like fashion supply chains, they are really just detrimental all around. Um, so you have things like forced labor, child labor, um, massive water use, chemical pollution, massive carbon emissions, textile waste, things like that. And a lot of times the environmental and the social or societal costs, you know, they're just not sustainable. Um, so, you know, going back to your anecdote about the child labor, you know, so there is a really massive impact on people. At Nutera, we, like I said, we take a people first approach with addressing the climate crisis and focus heavily on eradicating human rights abuses along supply chains, such as forced labor, poverty wages. And we're doing this through due diligence measures, um, supply chain tracking technologies, and just being really transparent with our findings to consumers, holding ourselves accountable, but also holding the vendors that we partner with, holding them accountable as well. What's also interesting, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but those that are most impacted by, you know, slave labor, forced labor, child labor, a lot of times you'll see that they are often from like lower caste groups or racialized groups. And it's not just in the global South, like it happens here in the United States as well. I think it's also pretty incredible when you think about 
81% of all human trafficking cases is a result of forced labor. And then, you know, the second problem that we're trying to tackle is like the environmental portion, right? So when you look at the consumer good products, like I said, their supply chains are responsible for 60% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And then fashion alone, I think, contributes to about 10% of those global greenhouse gases. I think it's it's kind of telling because a lot of these supply chains, they were designed to be opaque. They were designed to be exploitative. Um, and I think globalization just compounded that fact. Another issue that we're trying to tackle, too, is that 50% of sustainability claims are either exaggerated or false. And, you know, as a result of that, most people, I think the percentage is like around 75% of people, they just, they can't they have difficulty identifying like these ethical products so you know in a nutshell you have supply chains that um, are ripe with human rights violations environmental degradation and then on the flip side there's this growing demand for supply chain transparency we'll be right back reframables is not and back Two very different sisters who like to reorient life through the stories we tell. So yeah, it's a reframing project. We're working through to the other side of life's big and small challenges. It's for those who want to self-examine, but not just to make yourself better, to make the world better. So come here for the introspections and the conversations with our favorite artists and thinkers. We'll always leave you with something new to chew on and lots of laughs along the way. Find Reframables each week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. So with everything that you've been talking about, it it occurs to me that we haven't really gone into any specific examples of labor violations or, or different ways that people are mismanaging their supply chains that you've seen that have kind of helped reinvigorate the need for the mission that you're working towards right now. Can you think of anything like that? Yeah. So, you know, like, here's what we know. Um, The world's largest fashion brands, they're complicit in slave labor. And, you know, it's not because they don't know. It's not because they can't afford it. They, they just, they understand that they can just amass billions with forced labor. So, you know, if you think about prison labor, for example, oftentimes when I see tags that say made in the U.S., I cringe because it's supposed to give like a connotation of, you know, um, fair wages and workers' rights, you know, and things like that. But really, it's just another word for, you know, like slave labor. Um, So, I think there's over 4,000 companies that benefit from mass incarceration in the United States alone. Um, you know, lots of companies, they use prison labor to produce products. You know, the, te- the same products we use every day. And these folks, they're making 50 cents to $2 an hour, if that. Um, I think cheap prison labor has been a huge incentive to kick the criminal justice reform initiative down the road. Um, and prison labor, it's used from everything from farm work and manufacturing to call centers. And we saw, you know, the incarcerated fire workers in California during their wildfires, and they earn a fraction of the minimum wage. So I, I think it's kind of absurd that incarcerated people, they are, you know, they're forced to risk their lives 
um, in these firefighting crews. And these wildfires are a direct result of the climate crisis. Um, interesting fact, the prison labor, um, they save the state of California, I believe it's like $100 million a year, um, just because they're not paying actual um, fully employed uh, fire workers. Um, another thing too, there's state imposed forced labor, you know, like kind we see in China or Uzbekistan. So I think there's almost 2 million um, enslaved Uyghur Muslims in China and they're producing one in five cotton products that we use. And, you know, fast fashion, they're just all over this cotton. They can't get enough of it. So you're thinking of, think of like Zara, H&M, you know, all these big labels, they are definitely benefiting from slave labor. I think there are over 3,000 textile factories in the Uyghur um, region alone. You know, there's just, it's just a massive humanitarian crisis. And then when you think of the things that we typically consume, so coffee, chocolate, cell phones, clothes that we wear, flowers, things like that, these products that we use every day, they're made by enslaved people. So every single day, millions of people are exploited, millions of people are to suffer just in order for us to buy a $5 shirt or you know, some cheap products. And you'll see there have been a lot of really large brands that have made the made the news. So for example, Victoria's Secret, I think at one point they were touting the fact that they have like a hundred percent all the all the board members on you know on their board were were women. So they had a hundred percent women board, women-led company, yet they were withholding millions of dollars from the majority women garment workers, you know, so it's just really interesting uh, when you dig into dig past or look past a lot of these brainwashing efforts, and you really look at their supply chains, Toyota, for example, they were giving donations, political donations to like the Republican Party that was denouncing the 2020 election. So there's so many like instances of that. And it's really important to look at the supply chain because that's where you uncover a lot of these things. With us, we believe freedom is a fundamental right. Access to clean drinking water, that's a fundamental right. And, you know, breathable air. So regardless of your skin tone or regardless of your religion, your sexual orientation, whatever. And we believe that forced labor, it really just has no place in supply chains and there's no justification for it. I love the fact that Natera is working so hard to educate consumers about these atrocities and about the about the things that go on in the supply chains in order for us to get these products in our hands. Can you talk to me about some of the ways that you're educating folks? Like, are, do you have a blog? Are you on social media? Um, how can people learn about um, how can people learn a, about the, the the supply chain issues? And do you kind of do you also give examples of these things that you just kind of stated here in those places? Yes. So education is a major part of what we do. Folks can learn more about us on iPhone Women, which is a crowdfunding platform for women entrepreneurs. And if any part of what we're doing resonates with you, 
contribute. If you believe in our mission, you know, if you want to reimagine consumption with us, consumption that doesn't destroy people and planet, contribute. My hope is that we galvanize Black, Brown, Indigenous, Asian, Latin, any racialized person or any ally listening that is inspired by our mission and have them rally around us and support us on our iPhone Women campaign. You know, at the end of the day, our mission is to just improve the lives of people of the global South. And we want to do that by improving working conditions, providing folks with transparency that matters, and giving people ethical alternatives to Amazon and fast fashion brands. With the support of our collective community, Natera will be a force for good. All of the contributions, they go towards just bringing greater visibility to our brand supply chains and building out our platform. You can also learn more about all things ethical by going to our website, natera.io, and subscribing to our newsletter. Uh, share our iPhone Women campaign on social. Word of mouth is everything. And lastly, just come along on this incredible journey with us by following us on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, Nutera or Nutera.io. Talk to me. My favorite question that I love to ask all of my guests on the show is y'all, you specifically are doing so much work every day, all day to grow this business and to help educate consumers about what's going on and how our, how the products that we consume are affecting people's lives as well as affecting our planet. So you're doing all of this work work to help recreate the world as it should be. So how are you making sure that all this work don't kill you in the process? (laughs) What does self-care look like for you? (laughs) Yes. So self-care isn't self-indulgence, right? But self-perseverance, Audre Lorde. For me, in the spirit of being transparent, uh, transparent therapy, by weekly therapy, I have a little baby. So drinking plenty of water, getting my fruits and vegetables in and just getting out in nature as often as I possibly can, whether or not it's a walk or a hike, you know, just fully just immersing myself in nature. Yes, I love that. I love that so much. One, I am all about nature. I literally moved to the mountains so that I can like go outside. And if I have to work that day, sure, I'll bring my laptop, but I'm going to be doing it from the middle of a mountain. So (laughs) I love it. (laughs) If you enjoyed today's episode, please remember to leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you didn't enjoy it, well, you know, you need to worry about it. Don't even worry about it. Bye, y'all.